Well, you guys had me this, um, this evening, and I am bringing you the sermon. Um, but welcome to week eight. Week eight in our series of Everyday Jesus, where we are looking at the everyday life of Jesus, and in particular, how he used the everyday rhythms of life for mission. Um, last week, we, we saw how Jesus went to funerals. He wept with those who wept. He entered into their suffering, and at the right time, he reminded them of the gospel. As Pastor Keith mentioned last week, this too is what everyday mission looks like. This evening, I like to take what we learned last week and connect it to another theme that I think uh, we see in the Gospels as well. And that is how Jesus taught his disciples as they went. Now, I know that's, that's pretty obvious, right? Of course, Jesus taught his disciples. Um, there doesn't really seem to be anything really significant about that statement, but I, I think we miss something if we don't pause and reflect on how Jesus actually taught his disciples. Because unlike how we often think of teaching, Jesus didn't have a classroom for his disciples to come and sit in and take notes while he lectured. Instead, Jesus invited his disciples to, to learn from him in the midst of their everyday experiences. In the Gospels, for example, we see Jesus constantly on the move, traveling from place to place and meeting people along the way. He used these natural moments to teach his disciples about God's kingdom and how they were to live as his followers. You see, discipleship for Jesus' disciples wasn't a program or an event. It was a 24-hour reality an ongoing process of submitting all of their lives to the lordship of Jesus. And this happened as they did life on life, life in the community, and life on mission. We are also called to the same discipleship journey. Our, our faith is not meant to be confined merely to a Sunday evening or morning service or a Bible study, but rather it should permeate every aspect of our lives. Our homes, workplaces, schools, grocery stores, and neighborhoods should all become environments where we can learn from Jesus and help others do the same. And that's where I want to go this evening, looking at the life of Jesus and seeing through him how everyday life provides opportunities for the mission of making disciples as we go together. Let's begin by looking at an example where Jesus seems to turn from an event or crowd and teach the 12. Turn with me to Mark chapter 9, verses 33 to 37. Here's the context. Jesus had just cast out an unclean spirit from a boy, and the disciples were having difficulty doing the same. They leave the village where this occurs and begin to make their way to Galilee. It is here that Jesus takes a moment to teach them about his impending betrayal, death, and resurrection. He tells them that the Son of Man will be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, on the third day he will rise again. 
But here's what's most interesting. After this significant moment with Jesus, the disciples begin to argue on their way to their hometown, Capernaum. They're not thinking about what, what Jesus had just said. They're interested now in their own status and greatness. So what does Jesus do? He sits down. He calls over the 12 and teaches them. He tells them that if anyone wants to be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Then he takes a child and places him or her in their midst, telling them that whoever receives such a child in his name receives him. And don't miss that. Jesus takes an everyday situation, a walk home, an argument between friends, and uses it to show that the kingdom of God operates very differently from the world around them. In God's kingdom, greatness is found in, in serving others rather than trying to elevate oneself. And listen, this is a lesson that they would remember. Years later, the apostle John would write in his first epistle, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. The disciples had to learn this lesson as they went. This was not just a one-time lesson, but a continuous journey that would shape them into Jesus' image. The one who came not to be served, but to what? To serve. You see, life with others provides countless opportunities for discipleship. The ups and downs, and sometimes the downright messy are all opportunities for us to speak the gospel to one another and grow in our understanding of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I truly believe that we, we miss that when we focus solely on our own individual growth and spiritual disciplines. Let me, let me repeat that. Because I don't want you to, to hear me wrong. I believe that we miss that when we focus solely on our own individual growth and spiritual disciplines. And here's why. You and I are in desperate need of community. And the scriptures reveal that Jesus' model of discipleship involves us being in community. There's no other way around this. M maturity in our faith always remains out of reach through neglect of this type of discipleship. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 through 16. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. In other words, we grow together, not just individually. Our growth and maturity are interconnected with one another. There's simply no room, hear me now, there's simply no room for discipleship in isolation or the attitude that says, I'm a Christian, but I don't need the church. No, you need the church. And guess what? The church needs you. We need you. I don't want to gloss over that 
Because God sustains and sanctifies you and me in part through the people who come alongside us to remind us of who he is and and what he's done. And, And that last part is also super important because if we want to grow as disciples, attaching ourselves to any old community won't do. What we need is gospel-centered community. Listen again to the Apostle Paul's words. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up. What is the truth here? The truth that needs to be spoken to us isn't good advice or hard words. There's a place for that. But in this context... The truth that needs to be spoken is the gospel. The gospel is what positions us as disciples, and it's what sustains our growth. We need a community in which the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is applied to our everyday lives. That's how disciples grow. So it's not just about joining a community. It's about joining a community that points you to Jesus. So... Let me ask you, are you plugged in to this kind of community? And and I'm not asking you whether you come to service every Sunday. That's most certainly, that's important, right? But, But hear me here, there's more to discipleship than a day's attendance. The question is, are you willing to open up your life to others and allow them to speak into your life? Because if you're anything like me, it's going to take more than a Sunday to peel back this onion. There are areas of our lives that need to be confronted, and there are areas of our lives that need to be encouraged with the gospel. And it's not just about receiving from others. It's also about giving. Are you willing to make space in your life for others to come alongside you and learn from you? This is the beauty of community. We, we have something to offer each, to, each, uh, to each one another as we seek to follow Jesus together. That, that's why missional communities are so important to us here at New City. These groups are microcosms of the church where we strive to live, grow, and serve on mission together as a family throughout the week. This is also where the, the one another's of Scripture are, are lived out, like love one another, care for one another, encourage one another, spur one another on to good works. We, we see this same model being lived out by the early church after Jesus' ascension in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 records, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayer. This is what Jesus calls us to, a life lived in communion with others in which we can be taught by him through others as we go. Looking back at Jesus' life, we see that he used the context of the disciples' daily life, their their interactions, their their questions, and even their mistakes to teach and transform them. He he taught them in marketplaces, on on dusty roads, at at dinner tables, and even in a storm-tossed boat. 
There was no aspect of life that was off limits to his discipleship. And, and this is what we desire to emulate in our missional communities. We want to teach others like Jesus in the everyday stuff of life, reminding one another the truths of the gospel. So we see that Jesus taught the 12, but he also taught the three, Peter, James, and John, in more intimate settings. This is what you might call life-on-life discipleship. It is in these smaller, more personal contexts that we can truly share our hearts and lives with one another, allowing for more deeper growth and accountability. Turn with me to Mark chapter 9, verses 2 to 3, and we'll look at another example of this. This is what we read. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. In the verses that follow, we witness a remarkable encounter. Peter is so astounded that he suggests building tents for, for Moses and Elijah just to keep things going a bit longer. But then something even more incredible happens. A cloud appears, and a voice speaks, affirming Jesus' authority and sonship. And just like that, the encounter is over. As, disciple, as the disciples descend the mountain, they understandably want answers. So they ask Jesus about the experience, and he instructs them to keep it to themselves until after the resurrection. Why, why did Jesus do this? Why did he choose to reveal his glory to just the three? Perhaps it was because he knew that these three would someday become key leaders in the church and would need to have a deeper understanding of who he truly was. Or maybe it was because he wanted to prepare them for difficult times ahead, giving them an unforgettable experience to hold on to when doubts and trials came their way. Whatever the reason, we see that Jesus intentionally invested in these three men's lives through this intimate encounter. Peter, commenting on this experience, will later say, For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty we re he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. This life-on-life -life moment with Jesus is a model for us to emulate and follow. It shows us the importance of building relationships and investing in others' lives, not, not just teaching them on the surface level, but allowing them to witness our authentic experiences with God. And, and this wouldn't be the only time that Jesus would reveal himself to the three in a personal and real way. The event in the Garden of Gethsemane was another pivotal moment in the disciples' journey with Jesus, here they witness Jesus' humanity in a deeply profound way. Jesus, in agony over the coming crucifixion, did not choose to be alone. He intentionally shared this vulnerable experience with Peter, James, and John. He invited them into his sorrow and struggle, 
asking them to stay and watch with him. These men were Jesus' inner circle, and he desired, he desired to share himself fully with them and teach them what it meant to follow him. In the world where relationships are often, often seem to skim the surface, Christ's model of discipleship offers a deeper, more authentic approach. As he shared his joys and sorrows with his inner circle, Jesus demonstrated that genuine connection goes beyond mere shared interest in casual conversations. It involves allowing others to see our vulnerabilities, our fears, our hopes, and our joys. I remember when I first came to New City. We were located on Cherry Street at the time, and I honestly thought that you guys were a little weird. The smiles and hugs and the constant invitations, my goodness. I, I just, coming from where I'm from, I, I just wasn't used to that. And so I, what I would usually do on Sundays was sit toward the back near the exit. And I don't want you to judge me, but here was my strategy. I would wait into the last um, prayer where you guys' eyes was closed, and then I would slip out. I did this for quite some time until two of the tallest men that I've ever seen approached me, and that was Adam Crosby and Dave Ellsworth. I always say that I didn't become a, a, hugging, a hugging man until I met them. Adam, in particular, was relentless. He kept at me until finally I came to his MC, you know, the, the legendary Crosby MC. And as much as I wanted to, Adam wouldn't let me slip through the cracks. If I was missing from MC, he would reach out to me. If I seemed disconnected, he would ask me how I was doing. If I was failing to believe, he would remind me of the truths of the gospel. But he didn't stop there. He invited, started inviting me into his life. He dragged me out early mornings to F3. And then he went a step further. He invited me to his DNA group. My time in that group changed me. When I came to New City, I honestly did not believe the good news of what Jesus had done in making me a part of this family. I didn't feel like a child of God. I was ashamed, ashamed of my past, and I felt unworthy of God's love. So I did my best to avoid community because I felt like I didn't belong. But men like Adam, Dave, and the other men in my DNA, like Kevin Hasty, showed me otherwise. They reminded me that Jesus lived the life that I couldn't live, that he died the, the death that I deserved, and, and that on the third day he rose again to secure my place as a child of God. They reminded me also that this wasn't the result of anything that I had done. It was the result of what Jesus has done for me. It was his grace that made me a child of God. And as I continued to be surrounded by these men, I began to repent of my disbelief and came to believe the truth of God's great love for me. And that opened my eyes further to see that I'm not the only child in this family, in God's family. And it made me see that I need every single one of you in this room. That, 
that's a piece of my gospel story. And eight years later, here I am because God graciously moved these men to invest in me. I bring all this up because I think this is what Jesus was doing with the three. He pulled them in and shared his life with them so that they might learn and believe. They weren't just his students sitting at his feet. They were his friends whom he loved, and he desired to see them grow in their faith. And this is where the ideal of DNA groups come from here at New City. Just as Jesus had a smaller group of disciples within his larger group, we have DNA groups within our missional communities. DNA, of course, stands for discover, nurture, and act. These groups are usually made up of three um, or four men or women who meet regularly to discover Jesus in the scripture, to nurture one another's heart, and to act on what they believe together. And listen, we, we need groups like these because, let's be honest, we're more likely to open up in smaller settings than we are in larger ones. These groups provide that safe spaces where we can share our struggles, our doubts, and our fears and hear the good news in a way we may never hear it in a setting where we don't feel safe or completely free to speak up. But that also raises the question, who are our three? Who are your three? It's a challenging thought, but one that I believe is at the heart of intentional discipleship. Jesus taught the three, but he also chose them. He chose to invest his time, his energy, and resources into them. In the same way, we should intentionally choose our three, those people whom we will pour into and who will pour into us. So again, who are your three? Who are the people you want to invite into your DNA group? Pray pray and ask the Spirit. And if you're not sure where to start, start with just one person. One person who you can commit to walking alongside and growing in Christ together. That brings us to our final point. Jesus calls us to teach others. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20, Jesus gives the great commission to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that he has commanded. This is not just the mission of pastors and and church staff. No, we're all called to this mission, to to make disciples, to teach others what it means to love and, and follow Jesus. Jesus says, I want you to make disciples as you go about your everyday lives. And here's how. Baptize them and teach them. Notice that Jesus doesn't just command us to baptize He also commands us to teach. The the, the point is is that discipleship is a twofold process and involves both baptizing and teaching. We're called not only to share the gospel of Jesus with others and baptize them, but also to teach them how to continue to follow him. Some of us stop with baptism. We, We share the good news, baptize, and then we pat ourselves on the back and say, mission accomplished. And we lead people to their own devices. That's not 
what Jesus had in mind. Now, there will be people that we will most certainly meet along the way where we will only have one opportunity to share the gospel with them. That's true. But for those whom we have the opportunity to walk alongside and teach all that Jesus commanded, we're called to do that. And that's relevant in so many facets of life, whether that be in our parenting, marriages, friendships, or work relationships. Life always provides opportunities as we go together. What comes to mind for me is, as I mentioned in our announcements, our upcoming chili cook-off. I've talked a lot about this event from a friendly competition and good time angle, but it's more to that. It's an opportunity to be on mission together, to think about and pray about who we might invite in hopes that one day they might have an encounter with Jesus. And that, and that mission isn't just for those who have yet to believe. If, if discipleship is a lifelong process of submitting ourselves to Jesus in the everyday stuff of life, then we are all in need of being taught. Therefore, the, the mission is both to the unbeliever and the believer as well, because we all need the gospel. This is what teaching like Jesus looks like. Now, if that all seems overwhelming, there are a few things that we need to keep in mind. First, we're not alone in this mission. We have one another. Jesus sent out the disciples and peers for a reason, to support and encourage one another in the mission. I think of our, our Rivoli MC who, who just hosted their second neighborhood third place event. For those of you who don't know, third place is where we intentionally plan to be around those who are unchurched or don't know Jesus. It's a place for people to belong before they believe. For their third place, Rivoli pulled out the fire pit and, and roasted hot dogs and s'mores. And guess what? 33 people showed up because that MC was intentional about inviting and engaging people in their neighborhood. Who knows what God might do with just that one event in their MC. So we have one another in the mission. But more importantly, we have Jesus. He has promised to be with us always even until the end of the age. The guarantee of that promise is the Holy Spirit. Second, we will make mistakes, and that's okay. Jesus chose a bunch of imperfect disciples to carry on his mission, knowing full well their, their flaws and, and weaknesses, and yet, he still entrusted them with the task of making disciples. I love the, the picture that uh, Acts chapter 4, verse 13 paints. It says, they perceived that they were uneducated, common men, but they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Have you been with Jesus? Then go and teach others like Jesus. Third, we're not responsible for the results. 
Our job is to be obedient and faithful in teaching others all that Jesus has commanded. The Holy Spirit is the one who convicts and transforms hearts, not us. It's not our, our own strength or, or knowledge that makes disciples. It is the, the work of the Holy Spirit in and through us that makes disciples. So we can let go of the pressure and burden of winning souls and instead focus solely on loving and teaching others like Jesus did. Finally, this is, this is not merely something we do. It's who we are. Because we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we have been sent out as missionaries. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us and empowers us to proclaim and display the gospel. This means that you, you, you don't have to force discipleship into your schedules. It should naturally flow from your daily life and interactions. Every aspect of your life, whether at home, work, or play, is an opportunity for discipleship, an opportunity for you to teach others like Jesus and be taught. So, in conclusion, teach like Jesus wherever you find yourself. Do so in community and, and, and with community as Jesus modeled for us with his disciples. Teach the 12. Teach the three. Remind one another of the gospel and, and make disciples as you go throughout your daily lives like Jesus. Let's pray. Father, you are, you are so, so good to us. And I'm reminded um, in that commission that you, all authority has been given to you in heaven and on earth. And that you are indeed truly, truly with us into the end of the age. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your presence with us. We don't have to ask you to be present with us. We know that you are present with us. You have promised to be there, to never leave nor forsake us. Help us to believe that. Help us to believe that in our daily lives as we speak of Jesus, as we live in light of what he has done. And help us as a church to truly live out our mission of helping others live in light of the gospel. Lord, we, we desire to see the gospel transform everything within our reach. But we know that we can't do it alone. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen.